Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm in Luke 21. I want to talk to you about the situations that we're facing today, what our history looked like. Why is that important? Because if we don't know who we are, we don't know where we're going. And many people in our culture today don't know who we are, except for what they're being told in classrooms by teachers and professors. And much of that has been corrupted and twisted in the wrong directions. So I'm going to give you some background, and I'm going to, with the help of the Lord, help us understand where we are at this moment in time. Take us to, from where we came to where we are and where we need to go. And here's what Jesus said. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth, distress of nations. Anybody understand that moment, that word? <clears throat> distress of nations with perplexity. What's that mean? That means we don't know what the solutions are. How do we fix this? The sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them everywhere we turn. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws nigh. Take a moment and thank the Lord for that promise. Amen? Wow. And I'll never forget the young man that wrote the words to that chorus, Gordon Jensen, your redemption. Lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. Those are the words of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you. Help us to stand faithful in these wild days, chaotic days. Grant us the spiritual awakening we need as a people, individually, collectively, and as a nation. And one again, once again, be able to bring hope to the hopeless, for so many don't know what the answers are, and we're blessed to be able to offer your answer, the only answer that gets us into eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Don't forget to be back tonight. We're going to have a fabulous, spirit-filled time at the altar of the Lord, and I trust you're planning to be here with your family. Your family needs spiritual soaking in the presence of the Lord. Now, you know, I was looking at this passage, and I'm thinking about what Jesus said in this text. And there are so many questions that people have right now related, will this be the generation that's alive when Jesus comes back, when the rapture takes place? Well, we certainly could be, right? No one can say with complete clarity when the Lord will return exactly to the moment or the hour. Some people, of course, point to the word rapture that I use from time to time and others use and say, well, that word's really not in the Bible, but in the Latin translation, it's the term caught up. In the Latin word rapturus, where we get the English word rapture, we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. The Greek word Paul used for meet carries the idea of meeting royalty. That's what he's speaking of. One of great and utmost importance. And when Jesus calls us to himself, we're going to meet the ultimate royalty, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And do we find any other reference to the word or term or concept of rapture anywhere else in Scripture? Well, I think Jesus referred to that, and he spelled out some things very clearly when he said there'll be some that two will be working in the field together, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. And so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is returning. Practically speaking, the, the term rapture means we don't go through the process of physical death. And it doesn't mean that people aren't going to die before Jesus comes back. We know they do. But it means there's a generation that will not physically die, a generation that will experience absolute translation in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. So we need to be ready to meet the Lord because we don't know what's going to happen next on this planet. We can be for sure that the promises and prophecies of Scripture will be fulfilled. Every word of God is going to be fulfilled. So we're looking at the rapture of the church. We're looking for the believers that are raptured, the judgment seat of Christ. During that time, after the rapture, we'll, we'll be judged and evaluated as to whether we were, uh, the size of the reward or no reward because of our faithfulness. And as we're having that process, certainly the Gog-Magog surrounding of Israel could take place. And that, in fact, that can happen tomorrow. And then, of course, after the rapture comes the appearance of the Antichrist on the scene. And for three and a half years, while there'll be some turmoil on the planet, he will be the peacemaker. And I was thinking about that the other day. The Antichrist that we refer to in the New Testament and the Scripture talks about will be the Savior of the Muslim world. When he appears, he will be the one they're looking for. And he will make peace in that part of the world, and he will bring some tranquility to the chaos in that part of the world. And then there will be a great tribulation when he does a 180 and reveals himself to be who, in fact, he is. And that will be called the abomination of desolation, followed by the physical second return of Jesus, where he takes care of business at Megiddo, at Armageddon, and then touches down on the Mount of Olives. So we're looking at Jesus' rule and reign on this planet when he returns physically and touches down for 1,000 years, bringing back everything into place that was messed up and scarred and marred by the human race. And right after that 1,000-year reign of Jesus on this planet, well, the enemy will be loose for a little season to test everyone born during the millennium to see if they want to keep serving Jesus or they want to join Satan in his continued rebellion. And when they surround the city of Jerusalem, the fire of God will destroy them all and they'll all be cast into the lake of fire forever. The great white throne judgment will take place and the level of, the level of punishment will be brought to bear on all of those depending on how evil they lived their lives on this planet. So there's a lot happening, and it's going to happen very rapidly in rapid succession. Now, as Americans, how does that all relate to us? Who are we as a people? Why are we here? 
Why did God birth this land? And I want to answer that question because I think it's very important to bring us to understand more clearly who we are. What's our nation's purpose? What's our prophetic destiny? Why did God put us where we are? Why are we here on this planet at this time? What are the warnings that God gives us related to us as a people? Well, America is a blessed nation. How many know that? We have the strongest military in the world. We've had one of the strongest economies on the planet. And as America goes economically, usually so goes the rest of the world. We know how to great, create the, the best job market in the world when we put our minds to it and have leadership that understands it. We have the best standard of living. We have more churches per capita than most nations. We allow freedom to worship God. And whenever you travel overseas and you spend any time abroad, well, you see the difference in the living standards and the freedom levels. And there's a reason many people want to come back to America to live because we are a blessed nation. How many know you get a new appreciation when you've traveled in different places? There are many reasons that people give us as to why America is the nation that we are. Some say it's because of our democracy. Some people say it's because we have free enterprise. Some say it's because we allow simple freedom. In other words, the right to choose. With all my heart, America is blessed because of the covenant of our ancestors, our forefathers made with God concerning their walk with God and concerning the land we now call the United States of America. When you do the historical studies about the pilgrims, our founding fathers that followed, you'll find they actually came to this continent to escape religious persecution from the Church of England. England had passed a law that the Church of England was the official religion of the people, and no other religious practice would to be acceptable. Christians who believed otherwise left England. They came to America seeking liberty and worship so that they can honor the one true God. And our founders came to America seeking freedom of religion, not freedom from religion, okay? But look at how far we've fallen. Instead of having freedom of religion, we have people at the highest levels trying to obtain freedom from religion. Religious freedom taken out of the American way of life, stripped away from us, our foundations, our faith in God, our Christian symbolism challenged and removed. And when you look at our history, you'll see a pattern of God's hand on our founders. That was intentional on God's part. In 1607, 100 pilgrims migrated from England and constructed a cross on the shores of Virginia. We also have the example of the year 1620 when the pilgrims arrived on the Mayflower. They drew up what was called their Mayflower Compact before they ever left the ship for dry land. They arrived there at Cape Cod, and hear what they wrote, and you'll discern why they came from another land with strong faith in God. From the writings of the compact, they start, in the name of God, okay? Amen. That's their first sentence. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, having undertaken for the glory of God the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony. It's a remarkable document when you read all of it because it reveals the first arrivals in America 
were for the advancement of the Christian faith. They wanted Christianity to be heard and known. Your children may not hear this taught in public schools anymore. In fact, in some places, they can't talk about the compact or our founding principles. Our country was founded by God-honoring people. In 1611, King James produced the English translation of the Bible. And from 1607 to 1620, the first large groups of people were coming to the shores of America. And after King James translated the Bible into our language, the language of the common person of Great Britain, then you understand the Bible was brought to America along with the many that were coming to our shores. And on that basis of Scripture, they laid the moral principles and moral laws of our land. We discovered that most of our founding fathers during the time even of the Revolutionary War, John Adams, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. When you look at the writings of these men, you discover they believed in God, including Jefferson. There are those in our day who would rewrite history, make you believe our founding fathers were not Christians. Most of the founding fathers were Christians or were at least religious in their practice knowing there was a God. When the compact was signed, in covenant to God, it gave the development of America over to the believers for the structuring of this nation. And then we see the Christian faith continue as the states were all formed and the colonies were formed. George Calvert was known as Lord Baltimore. He was a Catholic. He had been persecuted in England for his faith. And he comes to America and he settles in Virginia. Many in Virginia didn't accept Catholicism and he wanted to go somewhere where Catholics from Europe could feel secure and worship as they chose. So he went north of Virginia to a land north of Virginia that we now call Maryland, named for the wife of the King of England. So that's the, now the state of Maryland. After Calvert's death, 250 people from England aboard two ships named the Ark and the Dove sailed up the Potomac River and they came to a landing place, and they named it St. Mary's after the mother of Jesus. There they planted a cross, and the first settlers of Maryland were called Redemptioneers. Redemptioneers. And all of these events came about as a result of Lord Calvert founding the state of Maryland. And they signed these, this decree. Here's the quote of the decree. No person whatsoever within the province professing to believe in Jesus Christ shall be in any way troubled or persecuted for his or her religion or in any way forced to practice another religion, end quote. So there was another person well-known, William Penn. Penn stated what was called the holy experiment. William Penn said, if I had a colony of my own, I would make it a place of true Christianity and civil liberty. Well, King Charles of England owed the Penn family a large amount of money. <clears throat> so Penn suggested that the king pay him by giving him land here in America. And many of the charters in America came about the same way. The king con contracted and contacted Penn and told him, take the land between New York and Maryland as payment for the debt that I owe you. So William Penn was of the Quaker faith. And he wanted to call the place where he resided, Sylvania, 
which interpreted means a forest of many beautiful trees. And he wanted to name the state Sylvania, lovely wooded land. King Charles overrode him and called it Pennsylvania, meaning Penn's gloriously beautiful woods. Penn for William, Sylvania for the wooded woods around the area that he claimed. The main city in Pennsylvania is called Philadelphia. Where did they get the name Philadelphia? The Word of God, the book of Revelation, one of the churches, the church at Philadelphia, one of the churches Christ commends. He called it the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. Now, we can repeat these stories over and over again. These people would go in. They found the 13 colonies of the United States. Most of them were of the Christian faith. Now, look at the founding of our colleges, Princeton, Dartmouth, Yale, and Harvard. And listen to what's going on on their campuses right now. <clears throat> the twistedness of professors twisting and corrupting the minds of those students, even now happening in our high schools, where high schoolers, not knowing what they're saying biblically or understanding context of who we are, are protesting Israel as they are in these main institutions. When I say their names, you think of higher learning and Ivy League law schools, but you also now have to think of left-wing professors. Princeton University was founded by a minister by the name of Reverend Witherspoon as a college to train ministers for the ministry. So was Yale University. Dartmouth was founded as a school of missions to evangelize the Native Americans. Harvard was well as Yale, a Christian university for the training of ministers to minister among the colonists that were first founded here. We've come a long way in the opposite direction since what our founders believed and wanted us to follow. In time, the erosion began. When we in, allowed into our universities more liberal professors, then they began to influence students away from the truths of God's Word. They mocked the literalist translation of Scripture. They mocked preaching against sin. So preachers who came out of those seminaries today have very little biblical foundation. I remember when I first went to class at Hartford Seminary after graduating from Central Bible College in my first New Testament class, and I was the only evangelical believer in the classroom. Everyone else in that classroom was taking the course as an historical book to look at rather than understanding the literal translation of the life and story of Jesus through the New Testament. And this is what was going on even back when I graduated from college. No commitment to the inspired Word of God. We have an unprecedented challenge in front of us as Americans. Separation of church and state. Is that in our Constitution? Most of the students today would tell you, yeah, it's the law. No, it's not. It's never been a part of our founding as a nation. One never heard the term separation of church and state until the turn of the century, early 1900s. A new attitude that the church minds its own business, that you stay in your four walls and don't come out and address any situations or practical lifestyles of people. The church is not to get involved in state issues. Our founding fathers came to enjoy freedom of religion, not freedom from religion. 
So here's how that worked. The term separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights, nor is it in the Declaration of Independence. The whole concept of separation of church and state comes out of one letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to a Baptist preacher. That minister was concerned that our new government was going to pass some law that would identify one particular religion as the official religion of the colonies. And Jefferson wrote back and said, no, our government will not be like the Church of England because England decreed a specific church to be the official church of the land. And Jefferson wrote saying, that won't happen here. We will not have a particular religion be the choice of our government. You are free to practice your faith. And in fact, we want your faith to be lived out in such a way that it affects how people live in the culture. In other words, religion was to have impact. Faith is to have impact in how we live out our lives culturally. America's founding was based on the Bible, Christian principles, Christian morality found in the Holy Scripture, the Old Testament moral law, and the message of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The early houses of Congress were filled with ministers of the gospel. They were not full-time representatives like our current elitists are, and they held real jobs. They had to come home and go to work and produce to make a living. And I think it would be good for a lot of them to learn how to do that. That would be helpful to maybe their perspective on how to govern us. In the beginning of our nation's of our nation, ministers were involved in social issues. They involved themselves in address. The ministers would speak publicly from the pulpits, read their sermons. They shaped public conscience, framing it by the Word of God. Do you know town hall meetings were held in churches? They didn't have civic centers like we have now. They were held in churches, usually in the center of town, on what was called the green or the square, town square. Churches were built around that square, and whenever they were having to solve a problem in the community, they'd gather in the church, they would gather with prayer, and they would gather for guidance to make the right kinds of decisions. And today, wow, can you imagine? Can you walk into the state house and read the Word of God aloud? Can you preach in the state house? Christian symbols being removed from public places? It would have never happened in the days of our founding fathers. We have let our forefathers down. We have dropped the ball. We have failed them. We did not carry this torch the way they intended it to be carried. Ministers were involved in elections. They were involved in politics. They publicly declared their intentions related to people who were running for office. They made no bones about it. If they weren't living according to biblical standards, they would tell the whole congregation. If you go back in history and discover in the American Revolution what we called then our Minutemen, they were from towns and cities. They were trained by pastors how to fight. The governor of my home state, as well as the pastors of my home state, told the men attending church on Sunday, you bring your muskets to church just in case after service the oppressors come and try to do something to harm us. Guess who inspired those Minutemen to go to war on behalf of our freedom into the Continental Army? 
the ministers of the gospel were the ones encouraging them to fight for our liberty and freedom. During the Civil War, preachers were preaching against slavery. In the northern states, the ministers spoke out about this unchristian practice of holding people as slaves, of dehumanizing an entire race of people. The preachers assisted in rallying troops to get ready to go to war to put an end to slavery. We are in this war on terror right now. We thought it was over when we left Afghanistan. No, it won't be over till Jesus returns and sets down on the Mount of Olives. And we face another day when our existence is being threatened. And since those who have attacked us want our freedoms taken away, and by the way, the things that they have done to people when they came across that border are demonically delusional without biblical worldview whatsoever. And we have no other option other than to take them out wherever they're hiding and plotting against us because their intentions are very clear. We're speaking about the history and the future of our nation. Now, why is this an important issue? Because we see how ministers, churches, and pulpits have been used to rally America and forge the laws of American justice. They forge the moral law, the civil law, the freedoms of Americans. Understand that America was not only founded by godly people, but America was founded and birthed by the sovereignty of Almighty God because it was built on the foundation of the Word of God. And why did God raise up the United States of America? If you go back and look what was happening in Europe, there was the Inquisition in Spain. Jewish people were being persecuted. God raised up America to provide cover for the Jewish people. And throughout Europe during the Holocaust, over six million Jews were murdered. But those in America, they didn't die here because they were being protected by the freedom afforded by the United States of America. There are only 15 million Jews alive on this planet now. Six million prior to them were taken out because of hate and criminal actions and demonic control. Many Jewish people live in America because they want to live in a land of liberty and freedom. American Christians have been the voice of the gospel, another reason God birthed this great land. America is the leading nation producing missionaries. We have gone all over the world preaching the gospel. We've built churches, Bible schools, hospitals to mend the wounded, and orphanages. We also have been the leading nation to step up to the plate when there have been catastrophic events anywhere on the planet in any nation that's been in need. As I speak, Convoy of Hope is sending all the help they can into Gaza to help the people being displaced and the people that are injured and hurt. And as we speak, Pastor Bill has his team there in, in, in Palestine preaching to the kids that need the hope of the gospel. In fact, Lost is in his first line leader who was murdered hellaciously because he was a minister of the gospel. Our assignment has been to guard the word of God and guard the Christian faith. That's the assignment God gave this nation. Yet we don't look at ourselves as a Christian nation. We had a president a couple of presidents ago that got up and declared we are not a Christian nation. All too many in our culture want to rewrite our history 
and deny our Christian foundation. Because for the last 50 plus years, we have passed new laws impairing our Christian heritage. These laws are eroding our national values and conscience. These laws undermine our foundation. America is a great nation because one assignment has been to be the main support for the people, the nation of Israel. And since Israel was reborn in 1948, America has stood alongside Israel. And we have been the predominant nation providing support for the stability of Israel. We are Israel's closest ally. When other nations would not stand with them, would criticize them, when European nations were afraid to take a stand, we stood with Israel. America has supported Israel through five major conflicts, providing military knowledge, intelligence information, allowing them to purchase weapons for their own defense. American Christians are the best friends Israel has in the world. In fact, those who have say in the nation of Israel all agree that the closest friends they have in the world go beyond America's government, but in fact are the American Christians. We are blessed as a nation for our support of Israel because God himself said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. God said that, that to Abraham. He said it to Isaac. He reaffirmed it to Jacob. Blessing the land of, of, the, of Jesus brings back blessing to the United States of America. America has been a restrainer of evil on this planet. God sometimes has used war for purposes that he has to exact in human history. Our military has been used often to prevent the spread of evil throughout the world. Our military has been used at times to stop dictators from destroying lives, killing their people, and oppressing other nations. America has never been an aggressive colonizing nation. When you look at history, America has always used war in order to bring peace. We have never gone to war to gain new territory. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, we weren't intending to go to war with Japan. This wasn't in our master plan for American expansion. We went to war because of an unprovoked attack of aggression in the war on terror. We didn't ask for that war, but we went to war to protect our homeland because we were attacked on our own soil. We are not an aggressive nature, nation, but we have used our power with great restraint. We go in for the purpose of removing evil. We've been a restrainer of evil on the planet. Think about this. World War I, communism came into existence with, after the Russian Revolution and it was beginning to spread outside of Russia, throughout all of East, Eastern Europe. If we had not been involved in the war supporting Western Europe, if we had not supported Western Europe, communism would have taken over all of Europe. Eventually, all traces of Christianity would be suppressed throughout the entire continent. Without our involvement in World War I, depression would have ruled the entire European continent. If America had not st stepped in to confront Nazism and Hitler, Hitler had ordered the death, the murder of six million Jews in what we call the Holocaust. Think about that. America's intervention, fighting Nazism, 
all European Jews would have been erased. If Hitler would have had his way, they would all be gone. If American troops and armament had not engaged, if we had not gone there to Europe, they would have all fallen to Hitler's control. America has been a restrainer. In Vietnam, there are now churches flourishing all over that land, churches totaling tens of thousands now of believers in buildings, in homes, because we brought the gospel to people we once fought against. In China, there are an estimated over 200 million-plus believers meeting all over that great land. The same was true of the Civil War, or rather the Gulf War. If you remember the Gulf War, Hossein and his Republican Guard, they went to the border of Saudi Arabia through Kuwait. He had already taken the nation of Kuwait, and if we had not engaged in Gulf War I, Hussein would have taken all of Saudi Arabia. We got to liberate Kuwait, and we protected Saudi Arabia. And had not we done that, the entire world would have been at the economic mercy of Saddam Hussein because he would have controlled all the oil fields of Saudi Arabia. And then Hussein made a vow publicly to take his golden throne to the city of Jerusalem, and he would conquer Israel, and he said, I will reign from there. Well, Jesus has a little different plan as to who is going to reign from the throne there of David in, in Jerusalem. Imagine being at his feet economically. This is why America has been a restrainer of evil. Our existence has changed history. Nations can complain about America, about America's military, about America getting involved in war, but I want to say that without America's intervention, the world would be dark today. Europe would be depressed and godless. What would have happened to your freedoms as Americans? A dictator would be ruling over you. Your freedoms would be gone, and you would be not able to protest one thing about it without being jailed if not killed. There would be no Bill of Rights. God has used America as a restrainer of evil. And there's an erosion of our foundations from the secular, ungodly, atheistic segment of America. Five-plus decades of dismantling our biblically-based foundations, attempting to plunge us into a socialistic, woke darkness. I will be a voice crying in the wilderness. These godless influences in our schools, in our culture, in our courts, our society, they are the influencers and they are the owners of the media. And they use their power to influence the culture away from godliness and away from his word. It is time for the church to stand up and be salt and light. That's why we were created whether it be the New York Times, the L.A. Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, professors in colleges, public school unions, they're pumping out this anti-Christian propaganda to the next generation of Americans. These faithless people are preaching to you daily on the news, 
on television, in our colleges, through our movies and media. They brainwashed over five decades of our young people. They have undermined our foundations for decades, and many have succumbed to these lying spirits, and sin has become acceptable in our culture. There are evil spirits undermining our land. America has been slipping into a spiritual unbelief. What's happening in the Middle East is a wake-up call to Jesus' church. We better be alert, as I read to you from my text, because Jesus is coming back. These are signs of the times. What's happening, Jesus' return is imminent. Imminent. Now, through removal of Bible reading from school in 1963, we don't want that book in our classrooms. Prayer went out in 1964. God forbid we teach our children there are absolutes. There are, okay? Gravity is an absolute, by the way. Whether you believe it or not, just get up on the roof and jump off and see what happens, okay? <laughs> to know there are standards in life. We legalized abortion in 73, and now over 62 million children have been killed in our land. Gay marriage is now allowed. Bible-believing Christians are called a grave threat to America, some church services having been infiltrated by government agents to spy to see what we're preaching. We have some public schools where you can teach sex education all the way down to kindergarten, trans, LGBTQ, but very little about the one true God. No public mention of Jesus at graduation exercises or they'll cut off your microphone. No Ten Commandments on public property. By the way, they're engraved in the walls of the Supreme Court building in, in Washington, D.C., and you can't sing Jesus' birth Christmas carols in some of our schools. No, it's Winterfest. No nativity scenes. Church, this is a day we need to stand and be heard in our community and in our culture. Are you listening? We need to stand because time is short. There's a spirit of unbelief afoot in America because we are no longer a repenting nation. Our forefathers, Washington and Lincoln, called for days of national repentance and fasting. God knows we need that again in America. And Congress decreed that, that it was to be so in the United States. The church has not been standing up, instead sitting back in our comfort zone, asleep at the switch when all this stuff is happening, and now it's racing quickly toward the end of days. No more. Unless we stand up, we will end up with a godless, Christless, no Bible, secular America, and then we will be done as a nation. It's only through repenting and turning our backs on evil that God can heal our land. Are you listening? On 9-11, America prayed, but we did not repent. We were patriotic, but we were not repentant. We cost ourselves a great deal when that happened. And I want to say some things right here about the now. I've told you a little bit about our history. We wouldn't have enough time 
on any given Sunday to give you our history incomplete. But I've given you some enough to give you an understanding of who we are and what our DNA is. And we need to grab hold of our DNA and be thankful for it and make sure we never lose it. But now, with Hamas, and now, with all the trauma that's going on in Israel and the threats that's are, that are happening in Hezbollah, in Iran, Hamas doctrine is simply stated this way. It's one of genocidal anti-Semitism and seeks to eradicate Israel and all the Jews. Hamas organization's founding document claims there will be a judgment in which all Jews will be killed. Their, quote, religious leaders have been repeatedly calling on Muslims worldwide to totally exterminate the Jewish people. You're watching some of those statements being made in our own cities in the United States of America. Iran oversees this doctrine. Shockingly, so do several elected officials in the United States. How did we get here? How did we allow this? When an elected official says that they support Hamas, they're saying they support the annihilation of Israel. And some suggest, why can't we just all get along? Why can't we have peace and cease? Here's why. God gave Israel the right to exist, and he wrote out the parameters of their land. Hamas believes Israel has no right to exist. And the only real hope for peace for Palestinians is to renounce the idea of Jewish genocide. Israel has no other option other than unwavering resolve. They have to remove the power of Hamas. The entrance to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, you'll see two words prominently displayed. They are these words, never again. Never again. Israel has to neutralize the ability of Hamas to function. And that's not pretty, no matter how badly we want peace, no matter how greatly we want to protect the innocent. It's not going to be pretty. The word of God tells us it's only going to get uglier. Are you listening? In fact, he's going to draw those nations that have it in for Israel to surround them. And when he gets everyone assembled where he wants them, and you read it in Ezekiel 38 and 39, then God is going to sovereignly act on Israel's behalf against them. We should support Israel. We need to give them whatever they need to finish their task and protect their own sovereign integrity. Israel did not start this fight any more than we started World War II. And they have to respond. And first of all, for us as United States of America citizens, the United States must get its own house in order now. We need a great spiritual awakening across the United States of America because the spiritual awakening is going to lead us then to the strength that we have to have to do what's necessary to keep our freedoms intact. Truly, our only hope for the future and the blessing of God upon our nation to have the favor of God once again upon our people is for a spiritual awakening to take place. We must have another great awakening 
another Jesus revolution. Secondly, in addition to a spiritual awakening that changes the hearts of the people of our culture, we must be certain our military stands fully at the ready to defend us. They need to be the strongest power on the planet as a deterrent. As one great general said, and I'll quote him, the warriors of old first placed themselves beyond the possibility of defeat and then waited for the opportunity to attack, end quote. We need to close our southern border, number three. I said we need to close our southern border quickly. Terrorists are here. They've come across that border. Our representatives that are supposed to be vetting people can't vet them all because they're coming in such hordes. Tell us that there have been known terrorists who have come across that border. Some they've captured and some are gotaways. Why do you think they're coming here? To make happy with us? To subjugate us? To kill us? We have no idea what's come across that border in three years because we've had a foolish position the current leadership has taken, a horrible position, and we're going to pay a price for that. There's no room for wokeness in our military, by the way. No room for that. We need, a, we need men and women who are ready to go to war and fight for our freedom. Fentanyl coming across our border has killed citizens by the thousands, and we've done little to stop it. Do we care about human beings anymore in America, about our children? Our police departments, number four, need to be strengthened and bolstered and supported, and they need to be able to do their job, and they need to be able to track down criminals and arrest them, and our courts need to incarcerate them and let them learn there is a consequence when you break the law, okay? I don't want to hear these whiny excuses that are being offered. Well, you know, they, they're just stealing because they've been oppressed. They're stealing because they're corrupt. That's why they're stealing. Number five, we need to be an oil-independent nation so our energy is not dependent on the cultures that are interested in our downfall because that's one of the bad positions we find ourselves right now is because instead of being oil independent and energy independent, now we're going to have to depend on some of the people that we might have to go to war with, okay? So guess what's going to happen to your prices at the pump? They're not coming down. Israel is the only country on earth that needs to defend itself for defending itself. And Zechariah, here's what God has to say about some of this stuff. Thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. In other words, he's sovereign over it all. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day, watch those words in that day, that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. 
All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every house of the peoples with blindness. Wow. And then in Psalm 129, listen to what God says about our day. From my earliest youth, Israel is speaking here, my enemies have persecuted me. Let all Israel repeat this. From my earliest youth, my enemies have persecuted me, but they have never defeated me. My back is covered with cuts, as if a farmer had plowed long furrows. But the Lord is good. He has cut me free from the ropes of the ungodly. May all who hate Jerusalem be turned back in shameful defeat. May they be as useless as grass on a rooftop, turning yellow and only half-grown, ignored by the harvester, despised by the binder. And may those who pass by refuse to give them this blessing. The Lord bless you, and we bless you in the Lord's name. That's some pretty powerful stuff right there, right? Think about that. The signs we're looking at today in that part of the world indicate the return of Jesus is upon us. Are you ready for his return? To be ready means to be engaged in activities that you would not be ashamed of doing if Jesus showed up looking for you. In other words, we need to get our holiness act back. And it doesn't need to be an act. It needs to be action. In addition to being alert to the return of Jesus, we should be sharing the hope of the gospel with everyone that's questioning what's going on on this planet and every opportunity we have. We should all be serving in some capacity in the body of Christ because that's the will of God for the whole church, every member functioning in the body of the Lord. And we should be at church services because the Scripture says this, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. That means now. That means today. The day of His return is drawing near. Now we should be in church more than ever before, not less. Are you listening? Okay. Today, until there's this great awakening we're hoping and praying for, national church attendance is waning across the country. Denominations are bleeding members. Church growth in America is limited to growth by transfer in many cases. 85% of those children raised in church, once they're going off to college, don't return to church because parents have turned over their children to secular education. We are a nation in serious trouble, losing our heritage, losing our foundation, breaking covenant with God. He takes that seriously. We are doing what Israel did in the Old Testament, and it was followed by judgment. 
every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Stand with me, please. And I want you to receive this. You are the generation. I said, you are the generation that God chose to be his battalion in this great climax on, on, at this time in history. You are the generation God chose to be the battalion in this great climax in this world. This, why were you born now? Why are you here now? Why do you exist and breathe right now? The long-standing battle that we're facing between good and evil, between truth and error, between light and darkness, you are called to be a part of that battalion that stands for these right principles, God's Word, and make a difference on this planet. If, if we're not the voice, there is no voice. Christianity has the one voice to speak the truth in these latter days. And you're the generation to make that happen. I'm signing up. I don't know about you. I'm signing up. I'm in. If I were like the preacher back in Virginia, I'd throw off my robe. I'd have my Continental Army uniform on. And I'd sign you up at the back door to join now. It's not an accident. You're the generation God chose to be in this battalion, in this great climax that's coming to a head between good and evil, right and wrong, light and darkness, truth and error, and we're right at the tip of the spear, and I'm grateful to be a part of that. Thank you, Jesus. We were born for such a time as this. Come on, shout to the Lord, everybody. Shout to the Lord. Thank him and praise him. With eyes closed everywhere, if you're watching by screen, eyes closed, please, for just a few seconds. And please hold steady if you can. We're in precarious times, very dangerous times. At any moment, there's going to be a newsflash. At any moment, you can wake up in the morning at any moment. Yes, Jesus' return is imminent. But at any moment, we can see some things happening on this planet we never imagined we'd live to see. We're at the tip of the spear. That means we need to be right with Jesus because we're not going anywhere unless we are. And when he comes to call us, he's coming to call his people that he knows their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is yours? Is your name in that book? Well, how do I know that for sure, Pastor? Because I've repented of my sins. I've told God I am truly sorry for some of the things I have done in my life. I've messed up. I, I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do to repair it. I can't go back and undo it. What do I do now? You call on the name of Jesus. You say, Jesus, I thank you. In fact, let's do that right now. Say with me, Jesus, I thank you for dying in my place.
you took what I deserved. I deserve punishment for my sins. It's no light thing to sin against God's word. He's perfectly holy. And there will be punishment for sin. But thank you, Jesus. I can repent of my sins. I can ask forgiveness for my sins. And I do. I'm truly sorry. I don't want to keep living like that. I want to please you. So I confess with my mouth that God has raised you from the dead. I believe in my heart that you died for my sins and I want to be redeemed, bought back, and go to heaven when I pass or when you come back. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that prayer and you were watching on a screen, would you please call us immediately? Or send us an email quickly. If you don't completely understand, well, what do I do now? We'll be glad to send you a Bible if you need one. The Father, bless those who prayed that prayer from screens, different places as they're tuned in here today. And most importantly, may they walk lockstep with you in these last days, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in.